I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thank you for listening. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. On today's show, I'll speak with Dr. Sharon Lum, surgical oncologist and chair of the Department of Surgery at Loma Linda University Health. Dr. Lum discusses breast cancer care, how we've progressed in treatment, and the importance of mammogram screenings. She'll also talk about best health practices to lower your risk of being diagnosed with cancer and discusses genetic testing that could lead to effective treatment early on if someone is at high risk of getting breast cancer. And now, here's my conversation with Dr. Sharon Lum. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. So when we talk about breast cancer, there are so many aspects to discuss, but I want to begin with the different types of breast cancer. The most common type of breast cancer comes from the milk ducts in the breast, so it's called ductal breast cancer. And there's another less common type of breast cancer that comes from the milk glands in the breast that's called lobular breast cancer. So we break it down in those two types, but predominantly treat them very, very similarly. The differences in types of breast cancer have more to do with three markers that are on the cancer cells themselves And those are the estrogen receptor, the progesterone receptor, and the HER2 receptor, which is a growth factor receptor. And those three markers or biomarkers have a greater influence on how we actually take care of the patient with cancer than the actual specific type that it is. Okay, great. Well, thank you for explaining that. I I don't know that people often think that there's more than one type of breast cancer in the different aspects of it. Now, I want to talk about mammograms. We know mammograms save lives, but I want you to share the validity and the validation of this form of prevention, and what's the good, the bad, and the ugly about mammograms? Mammograms do save lives. It is the best screening test that we have to detect breast cancer at earlier curable stages, and the use of mammograms to prevent women from dying from breast cancer has been studied very, very exhaustively, um, and that's that's actually why we do it. I think where the confusion lies is when when do people start, how frequently should they get screening done, and it's been fairly controversial, especially in recent years when different guidelines have come out to say some women should get screened at this age and this time and this interval, and it gets very, very confusing. Right. And for me, when I speak with patients about breast cancer screening, I do always first start with screening mammograms because that is really the best test and most most standard one that we can get. Um, there are other types of breast imaging that a woman can get, but they are not the ones that have been really vetted uh, as robustly as a screening mammogram. So unfortunately, there's not really a substitute. The bad about screening mammograms is that screening mammograms, just like any other imaging study of a woman's breast can detect things unnecessarily, uh, so it can overcall. And when we get these red flags that show up on any type of breast imaging procedure, we have to chase them. And most of the time, those don't turn out to be cancerous. But mm. in the meanwhile, uh, the person undergoing those procedures and interventions, it's really, really anxiety-producing. It takes a lot of time. You have to get off from work, and it's it's very, very stressful. Um, and so there has been an effort to try to walk back some of the frequency of testing and things like that. So we're, we're screening just the right amount, not too much, but not too little. And I think that is really the challenging part. 
one of the things that I like to stress is that not every woman is created equal. Not every person that needs to be screened for breast cancer is created equal. And we do really need to think about tailoring our approaches for screening to a person's actual risk for getting breast cancer. So if you're, a, if you're at very, very low risk of getting breast cancer, you may not need to do screening as much as someone who's at a very, very high risk of getting breast cancer. And can we share maybe who's at low risk and who's at high risk in generality? Someone who's at low risk is basically somebody who's never had any family history, Nobody, no relatives in the family who've had any breast cancers or other types of cancers and who is otherwise generally healthy, I would say. When we think about risk factors for breast cancer, I think the strongest risk factors that we know about are the breast cancer genes. Um, where someone is born with a gene that actually causes cancer in their lifetime or a very, very high chance of developing cancer in their lifetime. Mm. And the breast cancer genes in particular put people at very, very high risks of developing breast cancer and and some other types of cancers as well. Um, And then there's everything in between. So there are other risk factors where you might be higher than an average risk, uh, but not at super high risk. And then there are other people that don't have a cancer gene but may have a mother or a sister or a daughter who had breast cancer, and they're in, in a higher risk group as well. Um, and then finally, there are some things that women can get in their breasts that are not cancerous but atypical and would also warrant a higher uh, frequency or interval of screening. Well, a lot to take in there and, and consider, but I guess the overall is genetics and families who already might be um, closer or been diagnosed with breast cancer, so their siblings and sisters and such should be on the lookout or be cautious and be aware. I'm wondering if you could talk to me about, and I just heard this when I did my mammogram this year, was the 3D mammograms. What is that, and is it an improvement? Is it Because it's not well known yet. Well, I'm sure it's well known in your field, but I don't know if if patients are aware of it or if you can describe it for me. If you think of what a mammogram is, a mammogram is really an x-ray of someone's breast. And x-rays are really flat. They they actually have to squish things flat to take a picture of it. (laughs) Um, And when we do that traditionally, when you squish uh, something flat, everything gets overlapping on top of itself. And Mm. the 3D mammogram is a way to take very, very thin slices of the breast tissue um, and kind of separate it out so you can look at those layers in much, much greater detail. Got it. Um, and so it's definitely an improvement over the 2D mammogram, but it looks at the, the three dimensions of the breast rather than just squishing it flat like an x-ray. Nice. Probably not as um, uncomfortable. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we do not yet have a mammogram that doesn't compress the breast tissue. So that's being studied. Um, people are looking at that technology, but actually all of the mammograms still do require some squishing and pr- compression of the breast. You know, I feel like it's such a little sacrifice to have that squishing going on because it's just seconds, really, that it's happening. And so so what, right? We can get over it. It's it's a uh, we can prevail through that. Is the 3D being, um, because when I went to my doctor, they didn't suggest it. And while I was getting my mammogram, they said, oh, you might consider this in the future. Just tell your doctor if it's something they he or she wants to order. 
Is it is this coming on the rise? And we didn't see it before, but it's fairly new. It is a newer technology. That's true. Three um, D mammograms have been around for probably a decade, I would oh. say, but not widely not widely in use because it's a newer technology. You have to switch out the equipment and things like that. Sure. And also, I would have to say that insurance companies were a little bit late to come around to um, to cover those. Mm. But nowadays, it's pretty standard, and I think most facilities now are capable of performing 3D mammograms, and if not, then you can ask your provider and the facility itself if they have that technology available. But it's pretty widely available now, and I think it's, it's really best for younger women, women with dense breast tissue, and, and I do prefer them uh, just because it gives you greater detail for the same amount of time and, and, and effort that you have to go through to get a mammogram. All right. Check on my list. I'm adding it next time. Okay. Are there still women who don't get tested for one reason or another? Um, or it's not on their radar. Maybe their insurance isn't. I would think all insurance would cover it by now. But are there still a lot of women that aren't going through screenings or being tested or having mammograms? I think probably, unfortunately, the main reason why some people don't get screening mammograms is because um, they may not have known about it or may not have been offered it, which is unfortunate. Actually, there is really great um, availability of screening mammograms. In California, there's actually ways for women who don't have insurance or not have great insurance to get coverage for screening mammograms. So I think it's it's available for everybody, um, but I think part of it is just educating people that screening mammograms actually are really great. They're they're good. They save lives, and we do have availability for that. Okay. Um, what else can women and men get breast cancer also? Right. So we don't want to we don't want to say it's just a, a women's thing. It's more predominantly in women. Is that accurate to say that men get breast cancer ha- have been diagnosed with breast cancer as well? Yes, um, it's true. Men can get breast cancer, um, but only 1% of breast cancers occur in men, but it can happen. So I do uh, want to make sure that everyone knows if if a man has any problems with the breast, a breast lump, um, any bleeding or anything like that, they should definitely get that checked out um, because it can happen in men, even though it's, it's much less common. Right. Okay. And what else can women do to either try to prevent breast cancer? Yeah. So I think this is something that we actually completely ignored for for a very, very long time, which is things that we should be doing to live a healthy lifestyle actually can lower our risk of getting breast cancer. And those are things like very commonsensical, but are, are known now to lower our chances of getting breast cancer. One of the most important ones is not gaining weight or losing weight to become a normal weight. One of the, unfortunately, increasing risks for getting breast cancer is our increasing rates of obesity in this country. And obesity has been shown to increase chances of getting certain types of obesity-related cancers, and breast cancer is one of them. Mm. So we encourage everybody to get to a normal weight. Exercise is also good, so the equivalent of walking 30 to 45 minutes five times a week can lower your chances of getting breast cancer. Um, Eating a healthy diet, avoiding red meat, avoiding alcohol or only alcohol in moderation, 
and eating plant-based proteins actually lowers your cancer risk. So these are all things that we should be doing anyway. We just never really paid attention to them in terms of affecting our cancer risk and specifically breast cancer risk. So I do, you know, advise my patients to eat and live a healthy lifestyle. Let me reintroduce my guest is Sharon Lum. She is the chair of the Department of Surgery with Loma Linda University. All good advice. And I think that don't we tend to see women gain weight as they get older and put on more weight uh, more rapidly? And maybe that is why we see some more breast cancer later in life? I don't know. Just asking. Yeah, I think part of it is actually as we age, unfortunately, uh, we get a we have a higher chance of getting cancers in general, but breast cancer specifically. And the uh, relationship between overweight and obesity and cancers, and specifically breast cancer, is pretty complicated. I can't say that it's only related to gaining weight when we're older or being more sedentary, but um, but it is a complex interplay. And I don't think that we quite understand it, but it, but it is good for us to live a healthy lifestyle regardless, and it'll cut down on our our cardiovascular risks and um, and a lot of other good things as well as lowering our cancer risk. All right. You're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. We need to take a quick break, and when we return, I'll continue my conversation with Dr. Sharon Lum, surgical oncologist and the chair of the Department of Surgery at Loma Linda University Health. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We'll be right back. Stay with us. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. Thanks for listening. I'm Lillian Vasquez. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. My guest is surgical oncologist and chair of the Department of Surgery at Loma Linda University Health, Dr. Sharon Lum. We're talking about breast cancer, but I wanted to ask if you could share what genetic testing looks like and who would want to consider this option genetically. I understand there is now genetic testing for this. Yes, there is uh, genetic testing for what is now known to cause cancer in in some individuals. So Mm. um, there are some pretty well-known breast cancer genes called the BRCA genes, and uh, these were, you know, discovered in the late 1990s. But people who have defects in these breast cancer genes actually have a much higher chance of getting breast cancer in their lifetime and also some other cancers like ovarian cancer, fallopian tube cancer, for men, prostate cancer, melanoma, and pancreas cancer. And I think really one of the key things since these genes have been discovered is that if we can find someone who carries one of these cancer-causing genes before they develop cancer, we actually can effectively prevent someone from getting cancer. And that's um, something that we're not able to do much in the surgical field. So it's a really, really important development. There are... uh, several different types of cancer-related genes, but the the BRCA genes are the ones that are most commonly um, identified. And then there's some other rare types of cancer-related genes that can also predispose people for getting breast cancer. One thing I want to stress, though, is that it's not just women. So any person can uh, actually inherit one of these cancer genes. So it, it can be men, it could be women, it could be passed on to 
daughters, it can be passed on to sons. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's really important for people to recognize that it's not just something that passes from um, mother to daughter to granddaughter kind of thing. So, right. and the testing that uh, that people can do, it's actually now um, uh, it's a you can it's just a simple blood test or even like a saliva test mm. that that you can do to test for these things. But would one know to ask to be tested? Would one be expected to be to to know that or how would they know to be tested and can they just bring it up with their physician? I think that's a great question. Um, the technology has advanced so dramatically and so rapidly in recent years. What we try to do in the clinic setting is if I, if I have someone that comes into my office and has a very strong family history of different types of cancer, then that's something that I might consider um, mm-hmm. and talk to my patient about what genetic testing entails, uh, what it can do, what it can't do, and then uh, refer them on to testing. Um, I would say for your audience, if, if audience members have a very strong family history, particularly of breast cancer or ovarian cancer, then they might want to talk to their doctors about getting tested. And it, it also, you know, could be that there's other different types of cancers and other different types of cancer-related genes that run in families as well. Um, but since we're, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month and we're talking about breast cancer, I wanted to focus on the, the breast cancer genes. Interestingly, there are studies and, and there are ways that people can do this type of cancer genetic testing without um, talking to a doctor and without getting a doctor's order because the the testing kits are available to the public. There is some work being done in the research setting where when a baby is born, you know your baby is born, they get tested for rare diseases that could affect them immediately from their first day of life. And so some people are actually recommending doing, you know, large genetic testings on, on babies so that everybody knows exactly what they have. And it's a really interesting concept. I don't think it's ready for prime time yet, but it's definitely something that's being researched. Yeah. Um, And the fundamental issue is that I believe knowledge is power. So if I know that my patient has a, a breast cancer gene and they have a very high risk of developing breast cancer, then we can recommend a screening regimen that's more aggressive we can find and detect and treat and cure breast cancer early. And there are some things that we can actually do to prevent breast cancer. Right. Very good. If, yeah. So, and, and if my patient has breast cancer, then I know that it's possible that she could pass it on to a child and it can affect whole entire families. And so, I, like I said, knowledge is power. And I'd much rather know and help a family prevent getting cancer than not know. Right. Absolutely. My guest is Dr. Sharon Lum. She is the chair of the Department of Surgery with Loma Linda University. I'm sure every patient wants to be treated as your only patient. What do you try to instill or help them to understand as your patients? That I think um, in this day and age, uh, people should be empowered to take good care of themselves. And a lot of that actually has to do, like like I said, with the whole person care so it's not just a pill or a medicine that's going to make our lives better, but it's the activities that we do every day, uh, eating a healthy diet, exercising. And um, I think also, especially after COVID, being out in social situations and relating to each other as human beings, the power of our social networks and being with people that we love and 
and talk to you, I, I can't explain how much that speaks volumes for how resilient we can be as a community and as, as a society. So I think those are my main takeaways for my patients is that live a healthy lifestyle um, and and then everything else will fall into place, de-stressing and being with your loved ones. Okay. What have we learned over the past decade that have improved or enhanced survival rate? And are we surviving longer because of medicine being better today than we were maybe a decade ago or longer than that? We're doing better today? Oh, for breast cancer, I can't tell you how much the research in this field has just transformed the way that we take care of people with breast cancer. Wonderful. It's incredible. Just in my career, uh, we have had such incredible developments for different types of breast cancer from, you know, screening and, and surgical treatment, but certainly the medications that we use to treat breast cancer have really changed the paradigm for how we think about what living with breast cancer looks like. And I will just say there are special types of breast cancer that we traditionally used to think of were very, very aggressive. So one of them is called a triple negative breast cancer, where the breast cancer does not carry any of those three markers, the estrogen, progesterone, or the HER2. Mm. Um, And that's generally known to be a very aggressive type of breast cancer. But just in the last few years, there have been targeted therapies that have been developed that actually just completely eradicate the disease. And that's not the only type. There's other subtypes of breast cancer as well. And it's it's just really remarkable. So, um, So when we used to think that women with advanced breast cancer or metastatic breast cancer, stage four breast cancer, uh, would not live a long time. That's actually not what we're seeing anymore. It's actually really, really transformed how we how we think and take care of our, our patients that are living with breast cancer. So that's great news. Good. I know this is a profession and a focus you chose to practice in, but can it sometimes be a heavy role to play? It, it can be, but I will say one of the things that I love about my job is that I am so inspired by my patients. Um, And I'm fortunate that breast cancer is highly treatable and highly curable from all of the research and development that we talked about. And I know that a diagnosis of breast cancer is life-changing. I know that when I give that news to a patient, it's crushing that their lives will never be the same. But I also can see on the other side that when we get through this initial part of treatment and we get through active treatment and and we get to that survivorship phase mm-hmm. that she is going to live to see her kids wedding and her grandchildren and 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 it's it's a really really inspiring thing for me to see my patients just not just surviving but thriving after their diagnosis and and, and truly are just really in, incredible people. Mm-hmm. I also have to say it's a predominantly uh, women patient population, and so that's also really, really fun for me to Oh, to nice. Relate. That's good. Why was this the field of medicine you chose to study and serve in? That's a great question. Well, I I knew that I wanted to be a surgeon, and that challenge and, and technicality of it was something that I really enjoyed. I didn't actually know that I wanted to specialize in breast cancer surgery until after I finished my training and 
basically took care of a lot of breast cancer patients and was able to focus my practice on breast cancer patients very, very early on in my career. Um, and again, I think it was just that reward that I had from being able to take someone through this very, very difficult time to get her to the other side uh, was really just something that I have always enjoyed and found very rewarding. I usually like to end my interviews with your greatest takeaway, but I think you kind of said it a couple of times, just your, your thing that you want listeners to know the most. Unless you think there is something that, you know, if someone's listening right now, what's the biggest thing of anything that you said that you want to instill in them? My greatest takeaway would be don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid to get your mammogram or genetic testing done if you needed it. Because I find that I think a lot of people have fear about that. But I hope this message gets out how important that is. Thank you so much, Dr. Lum, for sharing your knowledge and your insight. And I'm sure the patients that have you as their doctor are very fortunate. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much. It's been a true privilege. To learn more about Dr. Lum and breast cancer awareness, visit us at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. We're collecting listeners' dedications to honor a loved one. KVCR listeners are invited to participate. KVCR Sharina Wad has more details. Dia de los Muertos is November 2nd, and 91.9 KVCR is asking listeners to share remembrances of loved ones for Radio Ofrendas. Translating to Day of the Dead, the holiday rests on the belief that the souls of loved ones who have passed return to their families once a year so that their lives can be celebrated. The way many families commemorate the day and welcome their loved ones is by creating ofrendas. Ofrenda is Spanish for offering. These offerings are usually placed on a tiered altar in the home. They often include elaborate decorations, a photo of the person, and favorite trinkets or keepsakes. Traditional offerings also include sugar skulls and marigolds. This year, KVCR hopes to share your dedications on the air and on our website, but we need your help. We're collecting listener dedications now until October 31st, and we'll be reading them on the air for Dia de los Muertos on November 2nd. To submit your dedication, go to kvcrnews.org and click at the top of the page. Fill out the Google form and share with us who you would like to remember and honor on this special holiday. That's kvcrnews.org. For Lifestyles, I'm Sharina Wad. If you have a segment idea, share it with us. We'd love to hear what you're thinking would make a good segment on Lifestyles. All you have to do is go to kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on the link to share your story idea. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, check out our archives at kvcrnews.org lifestyles or listen to Lifestyles on the KVCR app. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us at 919lifestyles and search for Lifestyles with Lillian on Instagram. And thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharita Wad, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, and executive producer Rick Duloc. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Lifestyles with me, Lillian Vasquez. Bye for now. Yeah, the simple.
Say 